we've just sang about, there's, there's, there's a great song we've just sang, and there's just one line that I would like to clear in. It's when it says, what Jesus done for me at Calvary is more than enough. And it's half true. Because <laughs> actually what Jesus done for me at Calvary was incredible. But actually, it's because he got up out of the grave on the Sunday that meant it was more than enough for me to be set free. And, you know, Heather and I, just before I get into my preach, this is going to sound quite serious for a moment. I mean, you could argue it's always serious, but Heather and I had the honour we were in Krakow, eh, not this week, but the week before. And part of that, we, were, we went to Outswitch. It's, it's one of, uh, like, I love history. I love anything to do with history. And obviously, that part of history was not fantastic. And, um, and it was incredible to go and visit it and see. To be honest, there are no words that I can give in the English language or any other language that could really convey just what happened there and how evil it was. And we really, it's, it's good that we talk about these things and anything like it so that it doesn't happen again. That's how we can prevent it. But as I was standing in this camp, I was actually, we, we kind of went in through the second camp, which was the much bigger one uh, called Birkenau or Outswitch 2. And, like, I stood in the middle of it because it kind of took you up the lane. And it was so vast that I stood there and they've destroyed some of the buildings because they were trying to get rid of the evidence, the Nazis, that it what happened. And to see how vast it was and to picture, and the stories were so vivid and real. And there was 99% of me that was so angry. I was so worked up. And, but then there was this 1% of me, and it felt like it was God speaking to me in the midst of this proper, pure evil. And it was just like this message that God said, do you know that Calvary, when Jesus died on a cross, it was so great that it even covered this sin. And so you might be in here this morning, you might be watching online, and it's not to say that what happened there was okay. God was definitely not okay with that. But you may have believed the lie that actually anything you've ever done, Jesus could never forgive that. Jesus could, the cross could never cover that. And I just want to remind you, I feel like God showed me this, even though I, I knew it in my head, but it was like he was speaking into my heart. That if God's grace and mercy can cover this, then he can cover you in anything you've ever done. So never believe the lie that actually Calvary was for others and that you were too much of a great sinner. Because there's only one truth, really, and that's what John Newton, I believe, wrote, who was a slave trader who met Jesus eventually and turned his life. It says, there's two things I know. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour. So I just wanted to encourage you with that this morning. And... Um, I also want to, to, that's felt like a series, the series detoned there. I also want to confess something. I said that when we flew back from Poland, um, that we were up at 2.45 a.m. And that was the only time that I would pray for souls in the morning. Because I'm a p.m. kind of person, not an a.m. Uh, but I have to confess that turns out that wasn't true. Because last Sunday night I watched the Super Bowl. So I also prayed at 2.47 a.m. then uh, as I was watching that. Um, so that's, that. I'm, I can't, so now I'm not going to say I'm not going to pray at 2.47am again because who knows but um, it's certainly no intention of mine but thank you for those who do pray please do keep praying it's not something we're doing for a little season we actually want to make prayer such an important part of church and we're really believing that this is a year in particular but even beyond this year where God is in the move God is bringing souls back to him people who don't know him are just they're going to become an awakened and those who have maybe once knew him they're just going to come reawakened and resurrected God's doing something in our world and in our midst and we want to be part of what God is doing. But this morning, I want to read uh, 
from John's gospel, we're going backwards, Pastor Jim went forwards, I'm going a little bit backwards, because um, we've been really challenged on souls, we're really excited about what God's going to do this evening in Cumberland, it's, I'm excited, I don't know if you are, a little bit terrified, but I'm also very excited about what God's going to do, because we're now at this stage where we've done everything we can, we'll do our bit, but really it's now, God, it's up to you, and the best bit is when it's up to him, then it'll be better than anything we could ever do, and I'll cover that as well. But I want to read from John's Gospel, chapter 21, and my message this morning is titled, Go Fish, like the game. Uh, It's called Go Fish, but it says this in John 21. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. I mean, they don't even get a name. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come to, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon and Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That this disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things if they were all written down. I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. And we'll stop there, mainly because it's the end of the chapter. But this was written from John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, he loved them all, but John was the one who wanted to make sure that 
everyone knew that I'm the disciple Jesus loved. John's also the one who pretty much says, we know these are accurate because I wrote them. He's also the one who said, we both ran to the empty tomb and I got there first. <laughs> like, John made sure that, that's what I love about the Bible. It's got all these kind of little idiosyncrasies that make it, it doesn't try to hide the ugly bits, like the humanity comes right through. But I really want to focus on the character of Peter this morning. And the message, I've entitled it called, Go Fish, mainly because I needed a title. And um, to be honest, and I was stuck between I'm going fishing or go fish, but I figured I would just go with go fish. You see, I, I, was gonna, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, and I'm probably not, but I just want you to think in your head. When you think of Peter in the Bible, I want you to think in your head, do you have a positive view of him or like a negative view of him? Like in your mind, do you think Peter was a good guy, or did, not good guy, but do you think he was great or do you think he was a bit naff? Because, I mean, I'll be honest, I go between. Like, at the start, we meet Peter, and he does some good things, and then he does some dumb things, and he still does some good things, and he still does some dumb things. And even at this point in the passage, I mean, not only is Peter deny Jesus, because if you don't know, he denies him three times. Not only that, he's nowhere to be seen at the cross. There's, nowhere, there's no record of Peter being there. He's went into hiding. And then we find Jesus has appeared to them, twice already and they're waiting for Jesus to appear again and Peter this amazing Peter who's wonderful he's actually been restored in fact it's even more incredible because Jesus when he's resurrected to Mary he says go and tell my disciples and Peter (laughs) not John not Nathaniel and Peter I mean he gets a name check after the resurrection that would feel you make you feel amazing it's like when you get a shout out you either get really embarrassed but inside you actually feel great when you get a shout out like you might be on the outside blushing but you kind of feel like oh, they know my name imagine Jesus makes a point after the resurrection I'd imagine he's kind of busy you know but he still takes the time to say and Peter and yet we find Peter here waiting for Jesus and he gets bored and decides I'm going fishing Now, if you know Peter's story, the first thing that Jesus tells him is you're no longer going to go fishing, but actually you're going to fish for men. You're no longer going to do that. And yet Peter decides, I'm going fishing. And I was really challenged about, it's just a question when it thinks of go fishing, what are you called to? What has Jesus called you to? What has Jesus asked you to? You know, we sing lots of great songs and Church, and one of the ones we often sing, it's an upbeat one, is you call my name and I ran out of that grave. You call me out of darkness and into your glory. You see, when God calls you, when you put your faith in him, he calls you out of something and into something else. You're not supposed to go back. You see, Peter in this story decides, I'm going fishing. And I don't think it's a surprise. Peter was a gifted fisherman, even though he hadn't done it for a few years because he'd been following and working with Jesus. I would imagine that you don't, it's not a skill that you lose over, like, it's like riding a bike. You might not ride a bike for four years, but I'd imagine you kind of still know how to ride it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Peter hadn't lost the knowledge of being a fisherman. So I don't think it's a surprise that when he decides, I'm going fishing, he ends up catching nothing. You see, I want to encourage you this morning, and it's, not, it's a challenge and an encouragement, that when you go back to out of what God calls you to, you'll spend a lot of effort, you'll spend a lot of time, you'll spend a lot of energy, but you will catch nothing. Why? Because 
When God calls you to something, whenever you step out of the obedience of what he's called you to, you will catch nothing. You'll exhaust yourself. You'll probably hurt yourself. You'll cause, you'll miss out on what God wants for you because you've went back. So my question is, what has God called you to? In Peter's case, he was called to be a fisher of men, but what are you called to? What life are you called to? The Bible's full of callings and God has got a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. It's undeniable. And actually, oftentimes, there's a, there's a disconnect between the call on your life and actually the, the reality. There's oftentimes where it feels like I'm waiting for Jesus to do something. I'm waiting for Jesus to show up. And actually, what we do in that calling season can have a big impact on what happens. See, if Peter had just been patient... I don't know, like, this is me and my brain looking at the Bible, trying to work it all out. I don't know if Jesus just showed up because he knew that Peter had gone fishing, or if Jesus was always going to show up when he was going to show up, and Peter just got a little bit too impatient. You know that I really firmly believe that whenever you're about to be on the breakthrough of something, I really feel like when God's about to do something, that is when you're going to get the greatest urge to quit, to turn back, to give up. I, I honestly believe that. That actually when it's at its most difficult to be patient, that is when you're going to feel the greatest distractions and urges to go out of me. I firmly believe it. I believe it's a spiritual thing because God has got a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. And it's impossible to be two things at once. Jesus often spoke about, you can't serve two masters. Pastor Jim's preached it a few weeks ago. He preached it recently. You can't serve two masters. Either you're a fisher of men or you can go fish for fish. <laughs> you can't do both, Peter. And actually we find that he makes a decision that what is he called to? He was called to be a fisherman, but he goes back to this old life. You see, the Bible says that if you acknowledge him in all of your ways, he'll direct your paths. So what do I do when I'm waiting? Well, the Bible promises me that if I acknowledge him in all my ways, he'll direct my paths. He's never going to steer me wrong. Even though I might go through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. But the only way I can know he's with me is if I'm acknowledging him in all my ways. I mean, we're reading through the book of Job. Job done nothing wrong. <laughs> if you're reading our Bible readings, Job, I mean, it probably in terms of, I mean, <laughs> when you read the Bible on a human level, it can feel like some characters got treated a bit harshly by God. It feels like Moses, Pastor Jim would argue he was harshly dealt with because he likes Moses, but I feel like Moses was a bit, it was, it was a wee bit harsh. You could have let him into the promised land. You could have at least let him step foot in it. David messed up big time, but you could have let him build the temple, God. It was his plan. David had the idea, but God was like, no, no, no. But Job... What did Job do? Job was just serving Jesus, serving God, living his best life, honoring God, and then God decides one day to boast to the devil, look how great Job is. And the devil says, well, no wonder. All you do is bless him. All you need to do is this and that and the next thing. And God's, I mean, we all want the double blessing of Job, but really, we don't really want the God to say to the devil, tell you what, you can do whatever you like to the person, just don't kill them. <laughs> I mean, nobody really wants to go through that. But that was what Job 
was called to, and God has got a call for your life. And yet Job's response all the way through this is to just keep acknowledging Jesus, keep acknowledging God. keep So even when it's difficult, we know and have a confident hope that no matter what I go through, God is with me. And I really do pray that you don't end up having to live a life like Job went through. But if you do, I believe that God is still with you in that. And what he's doing is far greater than we could ever experience. What I find really funny in this also, it's just a throwaway line, when we think about what God called you to, sometimes we think that we have to do everything, like we have to do what we, like, eh, right, how do I word this? Because we do have to work hard, like that's, the Bible's full of work hard, but in God's grace, for his glory. But they caught all these fish, because Jesus then says, catch the fish. And then there's already fish cooked for breakfast already. <laughs> So Jesus didn't even need their fish. He says bring your fish anyway, but like, he didn't even need their fish. I mean, also Jesus has bread. I mean, it's like, where'd the bread come from? Like, I mean, like, did Jesus, like, I'm just like, God always provides more than you ever could anyway. God doesn't need your stuff. He just needs you to be obedient. Now he likes to bring, like, he wants your gifts, he wants your talents, because he gave you them in the first place. But God doesn't need you to do anything for him to outwork what he has for your life. It just needs you and your obedience. It's amazing. So if, you've got, if you believe God's got a plan and a call on your life, you don't need to worry about all the stuff you think that you might need because if God has not given you it yet, you don't need it to outwork what God wants for you to do right now. The answer's already here. I just find it hilarious that Jesus brings fish even though they've caught all these fish. Just stay with Jesus. What are you called to? Don't turn back to that life you had before. Don't turn back to those things that you once done because God is calling you forward. He has a plan for your life. The second thing I note here, for all great John tries to make himself sound, how do you influence? Because Peter says, I'm going fishing, and it says, all of the disciples said, we're coming to you. I mean, Peter might have got it wrong, but at least he got it wrong on his own back. <laughs> At least he was the one who made a decision that I am I'm going. The rest of them just followed him. So that tells me that Peter was the influence. But my question to you is, how do you influence? What is your impact on your world? Because whether you like it or not, people watch you. People listen to you. You might be the quietest person on planet Earth, but people watch you. The people in your world, the people in your family, the people in you interact with through work or through college, through university, through school, through any environment you influence. They watch, they listen. When everyone else is freaking out about things in life, well, what's your response? The people, when people are wanting to say negative things about everyone, everyone wants a moan, do they come to you or do they actually think, well, I'm not going to that person because actually they're not into this. I had a funny interaction with a... Uh, as many of you may know, I'm the, the, the chaplain at Cumberland Juniors Football Club, and we had a, I was in the, the training after one night, and we had been appointed for our next game, a particular referee, who shall not be named. And uh, we were not particularly, not me, I'm neutral, of course, I want the team to do well, but they weren't particularly happy about this referee. It was just, they weren't happy that this referee had been appointed, because he may or may not have... Uh, went against us in a previous game or made some decisions we were questionable. I remember just being with a manager in the committee and people, and I just said, it was like a throwaway comment, and I just said, well, maybe this game, he'll decide to even things up and he'll give us absolutely everything. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? 
And the manager just laughed and he, he said, why can't you just be like the rest of us? Why can't you just say he's an absolute dafty who gives us... And I was like, and he's like, you've just always got to be positive. You've always... And I remember just thinking, that was a throwaway... I'm not glorifying me, but it was just a throwaway comment. And I thought, but hey, they notice there's something different about him to everybody else. And I'm telling you, in your world... And we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Why? Because people notice there's something different about that person. They might not vocalize it. They might not ever, but they notice it. So how do you influence? I remember being a, when I was a youth pastor, and I was early on, I used to have wristbands everywhere. I used to buy wristbands galore. Like, I'd basically, this arm was covered in wristbands, this arm was covered in wristbands. There were hundreds and thousands of them. There was not quite, but there was loads of wristbands. If there was a wristband, I'm having it. If it's free, I'll buy it, whatever. But I remember there was a young person who came to one of the champion conferences with us, and they spent their whole money on wristbands. And it was like a, visu- it was like a physical in my brain thinking, they've bought those wristbands because they want to be like me. And it was like the first time I noticed, I've got an influence. And it's like, in your, you know that way when you, you know something in here, but it's like when it drops to here and you're like, ah, what an awesome opportunity. And I was like, they probably should not have spent all the money in response. But I remember just being that challenge and I was like, God, let me be intentional about the influence that I have on others. Let me not be wasteful when I have influence. Let me not be wasteful on the opportunities that you give me, but actually, ultimately, let me be an influence that pushes people, hopefully, not always, but hopefully towards Jesus. Peter here says, I'm going fishing. And they all decide to go fishing. Imagine that was the end of the story that Peter decided they were going fishing, the disciples, and then Jesus comes back, and then, well, he's got no disciples left because Peter led them to all go fishing. Imagine that was how Peter's story ended. But thankfully it didn't because Jesus then comes back on the scene and says, you know what, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Serve me. Do you love me, Peter? You know what I do? To the point where Peter's offended, I mean... (laughs) Peter's hilarious. I mean, you've denied Jesus, you've went fishing, but he asked you three times if you love me, and you get hurt, Peter. <laughs> but he's so grieved, because, but his heart is so, you know I love you, and Jesus says, just follow me. <laughs> I mean, sorry, I know it's a bit of a piss, but even then, Peter's like, but what about him? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus is like, Peter, <laughs> it's not to do with you. And then Peter doesn't even listen. It's like Peter didn't even listen to the answer. Because as far as I'm aware, this is just a conversation between Peter and Jesus. So when it says the rumor spread, it was Peter. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it was Peter who said, you're not going to die. That must have been a rude awakening for John, wouldn't it? <laughs> when it? But actually, Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand that your responsibility is to just follow me. Because actually, Peter, by just following me, guess what? You're going to influence way more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Peter influenced some disciples to go fishing, but Jesus restored him. And then his influence on, there was a day called Pentecost where Peter stood up above all the other disciples and 3,000 people were, I mean, that's more than, sadly, a United probably get in the stadium as an a United football fan. But I'm like, imagine, in one day. Why? Because Peter decided, that, do you know what, I'm, I'm actually... I'm going to choose to not influence to go fishing, but I'm actually going to choose to live out what God called me to, and I'm going to influence others to say, do you know what? 
This Peter who was once afraid then stands up and says, see the Jesus that you crucified? Well, actually, he's the name that's above every name, and he's the only one that can be saved. And so my challenge is, how do you influence? What influences you? Do you become more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Do you help others to see Jesus or reflect Jesus? And I'm not saying it's all the time, 24-7. If it was, we'd all be finished. But actually, my desire is that when people look at me or have interactions with me, they see Jesus. I want to leave people closer to Jesus than what they were before. And the final thing I know is, do you love him? That was Jesus' question to Peter. Do you love me? And then he challenges Peter to say that, you see, love is not just a, oh, you know I love you. Actually, love means that there's some things that have to change in your life. Actually, love is a, love's a verb, is a song and a phrase. Love means you have to do some stuff. Because it's easy to sing songs and say, I love you, Lord, for you, man. But actually, loving you, Lord, means that I'm following you. It means I'm sacrificing for you. It means that I have to make some adjustments to my life, actually, because I love you, God. And it means that there's some decisions that I once made when I was younger. I used to do whatever I wanted, but actually, God, now I love you, and I don't get to do that anymore. And it's not a restrictive, it's not a, oh, big bad God tells me all the rules. Actually, it's a freedom that comes through love. You know, there's adjustments. I love my wife. Heather's a wonderful woman. She is far better than me. And I actually, it's funny, because I ask her sometimes, do you love me as a joke? And she goes, why'd you ask me that? And she, she gets annoyed when I ask. So it's funny. But you know what? There's adjustments that I make in my life, and she makes it in hers. I would argue she makes more adjustments to accommodate me. Why? Because we love one another. Heather's the most close person to me on planet Earth. And if I would do, I would, honestly, I would do anything for Heather within reason. Wouldn't break the law or sin. But how much more would I accommodate the God who, who, whose Calvary died for me? How much more would I make to accommodate his love for me? And so my challenge this morning is, do you love him? Because to me, loving him looks like, it looks like coming to church. It looks like serving him. It looks like encouraging. It looks like building one another up. It looks like praying and worshiping him. And it looks like telling others about him. You see, love is just lip service. I mean, the Bible talks, Jesus talks about these people. They, they say all the right things. They give me love with their lips. But actually, their hearts are a million miles away from me. Because Jesus sees everything. He knew that Peter loved him. But he had to get Peter to understand that this love is not just a, like, love is, I'm not going to go fishing, even when it feels like nothing's happening. I'm going to keep on trusting, and I'm going to keep praising. That's what love looks like, Peter. Love looks like Peter, because basically he's explaining to Peter, actually, I mean, as much as he thought John's not going to die, he's pretty much telling Peter, by the way, there's going to come a day where you're going to be stretched out and beaten and you're going to be led to a cross. They say that Peter was, I mean, Peter ends up, allegedly, I, I wasn't there, can't verify, it's not in the Bible, but Peter was actually crucified the same way Jesus was, but he wanted to be crucified upside down because he was like, I don't deserve to be that same Peter. So Peter goes on this journey where he realizes if that's what it takes to love you, Jesus, then there's no greater love than I could ever I mean, the Bible says there's no greater love anyone could give than to lay down their life for another. And we always look at that, and we should look at that as Jesus laying his life down for us. 
but actually there's no greater love. And I'm, I'm not saying you're all going to get, that's not what I'm saying. But actually I want to live, and I pray that you do too, a life that says, you know what, God, I love you. And if it takes my life, if it costs me everything, then it's worth it to see you glorified and to see your kingdom extended. You know, tonight we're going to come up, and it's our first outreach. And it's cost a bit of money. It's cost a bit of time. It's cost us energy and prayers. And please, please, if you're not able to come along this evening, that's absolutely fine. We get in the building at 5 p.m. to set up. I would love it if you can't make it to be praying between the hours of particularly 5 and about 7. You can pray until 8 is when we get out of the building. But if you can't even do that, pray between 6 and 7 when it starts that souls are going to be added to the kingdom. That there'll be people who, because Peter one day had a, I mean... We can trace it back. I mean, you can do it. Do the homework at home. But because Peter was restored by Jesus and he stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, you know what? Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the answer and lives were added. We live in the overflow of what God is still doing that happened from this interaction on a beach where Peter was going one way and he had an encounter with Jesus. And if you want some extra bits, Peter still messed up. Even in the book of Acts, he still got it wrong and Paul had to come alongside him and say, oh, Peter, you're being a bit of a hypocrite here. <laughs> so we're not asking you to be perfect. God doesn't look for perfection. Thankfully, that was found in Jesus, so you don't have to. You're off the hook for perfection. Praise the Lord. But, but he sets you the challenge of what are you called to? You're called to serve him, to love him, to honor him, to worship him and to walk with him. How do you influence do you bring others to Jesus or are you one of these, I'm going fishing. As soon as it gets hard, I'm going back to this life I had before. Well, my challenge for you is that you don't have to do that. And my final question really is, do you love him? A love that goes beyond any comprehension, a love that makes no sense and makes you do irrational, crazy things. But you can never love him more than he loves you. And so the worship team can come up. I'm just going to close in prayer. If you're able to and if you're comfortable, I would love it if you could stand just as a pray over each of us. Father God, thank you that you are so great. Father God, I thank you that you have a call and a plan for each one of our lives. I thank you that because of Calvary and the resurrection, we can live in your freedom, your grace, your mercy that we no longer have to live in fear and we no longer have to carry shame and guilt. Father God, I thank you that you do, for the opportunity we have to influence others. I thank you that we can speak life into situations. I thank you that we can bring peace and joy through your Holy Spirit and through your name into our world. Father God, I thank you that you've already given us opportunities. You've placed us right here in this moment with the influence we have for your glory. Give us wisdom on how to use that. Father God, I pray that you'll help us to just love you every single day. Help us to not just give you lip service or to make love something we sing about or something we kind of feel, but actually let us have a love for you that says, do you know what? We'll follow you, God. We'll follow you, Jesus, wherever it takes us, however, however it costs us, whatever it takes on the, the journey. We don't want to go fishing like we used to, but actually we want to be people who are used for your glory in order that your kingdom can be built and lives can be added to your kingdom. Father God, I pray even right now, Father God, that you'll be revealing calling to people, Father God, that you'll be 
putting things in people's minds, Father. I pray even for those who are in the room or watching online who are, they've been so tempted and have felt the urge to just quit, Father God. I pray that you'll give them the strength to not give up, to not go back, but to hold on and step forward into what you're calling them to. And God, I pray tonight, Father, that we will join with the party in heaven as lives are added to your kingdom. As souls from come come to you, and they also can be part of the great multitude of fish that's been caught ever since your resurrection and it's continuing to be caught. We ask this in your name and we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.